it is. Definitely. Welcome, welcome. Good morning. Good to have you with us. Best of you newcomers, welcome. Uh, not that the rest of you are welcome. Well, welcome here. Um, I'd also just to say thank you for bearing with us through all the renovations. Uh, you've noticed that that flooring wall went up. That's temporary. That'll come down while they're taking away that staircase. And the eagle eyes will have noticed the big metal seat at the back is brand new. The heating is being installed. So maybe even next week we might have brand new heating and ventilation working. Pretty exciting, pretty exciting. And, uh, and Dave and Rosie land this week as well. And uh, Dave Shelley, a friend uh, to the church that a lot of you know, here every day this week. So we might even get Dave to give us a bottle of champagne as a heating system and start it next week to in- inaugurate it. But anyway, you might be able to win. Anyway. Uh, I'm Ollie, one of the leaders here. It's, um, so I'm just going to pray, and then we'll let, we'll let Scott jump in. So, Father God, again, thank you, Father, for a good time of worship this evening, Father, for entering into your presence today. Thank you that you are with us wherever we are, Father. And so we just welcome you here this evening. God, speak to us this morning, Father. Lift our eyes to you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Amen. So, you know, most of you know I'm full-time physio. I'm a physio by day and a, and a elder by night. And uh, so I want to give you a little insight in, a, in something I sometimes negotiate with, with, with my clients. And most days I need to do something, do something like this, obviously to a specific situation and, you know, down and talking with the elderly and all. But um, usually really helpfully nowadays you can get x-rays, MRI scans, you know, things like that to help us uh, look at different issues we might have. Maybe 20 years ago when I started working, it was much harder to get an MRI scan than now. You might be aware of this, but at least you can get them now in terms of the thing. Um, and these scans are really good at showing, you know, in quite detail, the structure of uh, what's going on and say, you know, low backs or knees or shoulders or whatever we need, we need to look at. Um, however, in the early days of MRIs, for example, there would be detail on a spine on the back, like the vertebrae, the little bones in the back, or, or the discs in between the vertebrae. And they might show that these discs were like degenerate, they're a bit worn. And the spine discs and for a long time they thought these degenerative discs were what caused back pain. Um, but the more and more scans they did over the years, the more and more they realized that almost all adults post seventies have degenerative discs. And so if Almost all adults with scan have degenerative discs, but only a few people have back pain. Maybe the degenerative discs aren't what's causing the back pain. You with me? So that's just an example. We all know that as we get older, uh, you know, we get grey hair wrinkles. We get grey hair wrinkles, and we also get that on the on the inside as well as the outside. We get we, we, we get some degeneration, some degenerative changes. There's actually a very poor correlation between the amount of degeneration and the amount of pain one feels. We can be fully active, fully functional, fully painless, but still have degeneration on our spine, knees, our shoulders, whatever. So now you're all sitting there a little bit confused. Uh, where this is going, and those all, all have sore backs. So, yeah, so, 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 therefore, what's causing the pain, I guess, is, is the question. Well, that's probably why I have a job, and that's my job to figure it out as a physio. And so that's why this morning I brought some business cards to leave at the desk uh, at the back there. And I'm basically done, so it's great. Thanks for coming. 
And we'll see you, see you next week. Wouldn't that be brilliant? I think I get, I think I get tired from preaching ever again. If I didn't finish, finish, finish there. All right. So uh, we've got a couple of slides to run through quickly. We've got the first slide is a photograph of someone. Who here know, knows who that is? And you can't, you can't say Ed because it's a bit unclear. Yeah, I'll give you a prize if someone knows who that is. Okay, this guy. Nice guy. I'm glad nobody knew who it was. They don't have a thing with Um Anyway, this guy is called Ed. Ed uh, Whitlock. He's actually an English guy, not for that matter. He lives in Milton on Hill. And he is a prolific world record breaker. Uh, is anyone here run a marathon? Surely I'm sure this guy somewhere's going to run a marathon. Nobody? Okay. Well, I was going to ask what your time was. Anyway, uh, a sub four hour marathon is pretty good for an amateur. Ed started running in his 40s. He was the first seven year old to do a sub three hour marathon. He ran the fastest ever marathon for a 75 year old. He broke the world record for a marathon run by someone over 80. And then also over 85. He was the fastest, uh, fastest marathon runner uh, for his age in history. And at 85, he's still running a sub four hour marathon, which is decent for someone like me who I've never even done one. And I think it has to be a sub four hour marathon. And at 85, he was doing that. Think of someone you know who's 85 and think of them when they run a sub four hour marathon. Here's my point. He was diagnosed with severe arthritis, with severe degeneration of his knees, and he still ran marathons, and he still set world records. All right, next one. Who recognizes this person? There's no prizes for this one. Right, the fastest ever human recorded. Just like amazing, unbelievable. I could not believe what I was watching, and I watched him set that world record. It was just phenomenal. Uh, did you know that Usain Bolt has a spinal scoliosis, which is like a curve in the back? So why am, I, why am I telling you these stories? What's my point? Well, even with injuries, old injuries, degeneration, chronic issues, you can still be functional and active and even do amazing things physically and in your Christian life. And there's my 10-year point. And in your Christian life, even when you're weak, if you've suffered pain and hardship, you've been hurt, you've been broken, you don't feel strong, you have burdens, you have past failures, you feel too old, you feel too young or inexperienced, or too worn out, you can still be effective as a Christian, be useful in the kingdom of God, and God can use you to do amazing things. And that's the main point, is In fact, God can use you not just if you've had these issues, but precisely because you've had these issues. And perhaps all the more. You see, time and time again in Scripture, by the grace He shows us, God chooses to use the weak, the broken, the failures. He chooses to use the unexpected. So who here has had failures or feels like a failure. No hands up, okay. I'm not going to take names. Maybe it's in work. Maybe it's in school. Maybe it's in relationships or in your Christian life. Who here has hurt or been hurt by others? Maybe even by Christian friends or Christian leaders. Who here has felt let down 
worn out or overburdened, or who feels lonely, no close friendship, or has had seasons of struggle. Got to be almost all of us, hasn't it? And if not already, then be prepared because you will. And that's my motivation uplifting message for the morning. You're going to leave here on a high. Uh, but all, like, like all, honestly, almost all of us, uh, again, we must know that God wants us to come to Him. That He is with us. And he can help us in our weakness. He can use us and work in us and through us. So we're going to consider, consider a few uh, Bible characters. Uh, and so we're going to run through these three reasonably quickly. So stick with me. If you have your Bible, you have to have past 10 weeks. Um, we're going to consider uh, some obvious ones. I'm not going to put any smart moves here. Uh, so Abraham and Sarah. So we see in Genesis, Abraham is promised a great offspring. And God will, uh, give, him, God will give him the land. But by the time he's about 86 or so, and there's no offspring, Abraham and Sarah take matters into their own hands, doing things their own way and not God's way. Who here has ever done that? And in Genesis 16, Sarah gives Abraham her servant Hagar. She conceived a child, that's Ishmael, and Ishmael was born. But even after this apparent lack of trust in God, God still uses Abraham. And after this, in Genesis 17, verse 4, it says, uh, God says, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be, my, be the father of a multitude of nations. And Isaac is born about 14 years old, so 100 years Abraham and 90 years Sarah. And God makes his covenant with Isaac, although still chooses to bless Ishmael. So Abraham had his weaknesses and didn't always fully trust God, but God still used him. Arguably, God chose to use Jacob. So even though Jacob was deceitful, we see that in Genesis 27, Isaac, now an old man with failing eyesight, and his sons, you guys all know the story, uh, his sons were Esau the eldest and Jacob the youngest. And knowing that Isaac was going to bless his eldest son, Esau, Jacob and his mom tricked up this, this, this trick to trick Isaac into getting, giving Jacob the blessing instead. So they, uh, they dressed him up in Esau's clothes, they put goat skin on him to make, him, make the blind father think it was Esau. And, uh, and they, lied, they lied to Isaac. And Isaac even said, even said to Jacob, who are you? And Jacob lied to him and said, I am Esau, your firstborn. In Genesis 27, verse 35, it says that uh, after, uh, after he had done the blessing, he spoke to Esau, and Isaac said, Your brother came deceitfully and has taken away your blessing. So God used and blessed Jacob, even his deceit. And kids are not advocating that you are God doing all deceitful. Uh, Moses, that great man of faith, that leader out of Israel, of Israel, out of Egypt. If you look at Exodus chapter 4, you see Moses certainly didn't feel qualified for the job that God was asking him to do. Do you sometimes maybe feel that way? You don't feel qualified? You don't feel good enough at something? Maybe it's, maybe it's church life, maybe it's preaching, maybe it's life of leading, maybe it's serving in different areas. Maybe, maybe you felt called by God once, somehow, but maybe you try to convince yourself after a while, oh, maybe he didn't, he didn't really speak to me, he didn't really call me, he wouldn't, he wouldn't call me. Anyway, we see that Exodus chapter 3, verse 11, it says, Moses says, Who am I that I go to Pharaoh? You know, basically saying, I'm not good enough to go to Pharaoh. 
Lord as ten. Oh my Lord, I am not I am not eloquent. I am small of speech and tongue. And finally in verse thirteen he says uh, he says, Oh my Lord, please send someone else. You can't just send Adam instead. He speaks better than me. Moses Moses didn't want to do it. He didn't feel good enough for it. But God chose him. God called him. And even in your inadequacies and your insecurities and your your, your, your insufficiencies, God can call you and use you. And don't forget what happened in Exodus chapter 2. Does anyone remember what happened to Moses? The crazy thing about Moses in chapter 2? What do we do? Someone knows. We might... Why might we? Why might we think he's not a good choice by God's will either? He was a murderer. He murdered a guy, and God still chose to use him. I won't ask if any of that if that applies to any of you. Samson, story of Samson again shows God using flawed people. Sometimes we think here too flawed people. You know the story: physically incredibly strong, beautiful hair. Many weaknesses of many weaknesses of character, and still, even in his death, God used him to defeat the enemy. It says in Judges chapter sixteen, verse thirty, and Samson said, "Let me die with the Philistines." Then he bowed with all his strength, and the house fell upon the Lord and upon the people who were in it. So the dead he killed at his death were more than those he had killed during his life. When Samson was at his weakest, God. He was he was the most effective. God used him the most. When Samson got his weakest, he was the most effective. David. James Bond, you all know this. King David, God's chosen leader, called him a man of faith, called a man after God's own heart. Yet, he committed adultery with a woman called Bathsheba. She eventually became pregnant. And then to cover up the sin, he arranged for her husband to get killed in battle. He doesn't look like such a good leader, does he? And yet David repents. God forgives. And although David still has to live with the consequences of sin, that's a whole other message, he is forgiven, but forever changed and weakened. Yet God still chooses to work through him. All right, let's get forward a few hundred years uh, to the disciples. Were they strong? Were they amazing? Well, let's consider Peter. The rock God will build the church upon. And again, you know what I'm going to say. What did Jesus say Peter would do? Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And what did Peter say? Even if I must die, I will not deny you. How did that go? And what happens? Matthew 26, Peter denied knowing him three times. And yet, God still chose to use him to build his church. And listen, there's loads more in the Bible. I picked the obvious ones. We'll just do one last real quick one. Uh, Paul. Okay, Paul, who persecuted Christians, almost certainly had them killed, who hated Christians enough to watch them be stoned to death, possibly took part in stoning himself. And yet, what was I say? God uses Paul. In a, great, in a great way. And through a great conversion, Paul helped build the early church. And that's about half of the New Testament, which we read you know, most weeks here. So I'm not sure if any of us have weaknesses or past sins or past hurts or sins done by you or sins done to you, challenges you face. 
that compares the ones we just read. Uh, and like I said, this is another example. But we must be encouraged by these examples, because even with our baggage, even with our weaknesses and our mistakes and our brokenness, our past sins, our past hurts, our insufficiencies, our inadequacies, God can and will use us. In fact, perhaps He can and will use us all the more because of our overwhelming realization that we're not good enough, we're not sufficient in and of ourselves. Um, last week during worship, uh, Kelly brought a word. I didn't ask you, Kelly, but I'm not sure. Kelly brought a word during worship last week about being ashamed. And to be honest here, it would have been way better if it was brought this morning, but anyway, I'll forgive it for that. Um, but well done for being vulnerable, vulnerable Kelly, and sharing about things that in your past have caused you know, shame or, or maybe be ashamed. But maybe that speaks to you too. Maybe you've done things that, that you've done in the past to cause you to feel ashamed. But God forgives and takes away the shame. God washes our past totally clean. And yet, at the same time, it's not you know, forgive and forget. He doesn't do a Jedi mind trick and wipe off our memories. We still remember our past. We still have to live with the consequences of it. Yet, we live in the love and forgiveness and grace of God. Do you think any of those famous people that we read about, do you think any of them uh, felt shame? Moses over the murder? Abraham and Sarah over not trusting God? David? Peter? But because of the work God has done in us, He can use us even with our past shame and hurt. All right, we're going to get into a little bit of scripture. Um, so if you have your Bibles, and probably something on the screen, we're going to look at Second Corinthians. And we'll look at chapter 1, and then we'll jump down to chapter 12. Um, so chapter 1, verse 3. says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of the mercies of God, and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly and comfort too. Lots of comfort, lots of comfort in there. You see, broken people recognize that they need God's help. It's because we have had struggles, hurts, afflictions, and because God has comforted us that we can help those around us. If you, if you stay with Paul and jump down to chapter 12, uh, the second part of verse 7 says, Therefore, in order to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan, of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And there's a couple of things there. And again, this is a whole message in itself, but why, why was Paul given this thing? Well, verse 7, it says, that's Romans, so he wouldn't become conceited, which is kind of like being very proud or, 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 or very vain. I'm 
I'm not fully sure what the thorn is. Again, that's not the point today. The point is God gave or allowed this thorn for a reason. And, I, and although the grace and through the grace and power of God, it enables Paul to be content and even delight in hardship and difficulties or calamities. One verses one 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 translation says calamities. Who can delight delight in calamities? Who here can has learned to delight in calamities? I struggle delighting hardship. Even struggling to know my friends are hardship. I, I struggle to delight in that. Man, wouldn't it be great to be able to say amen to Paul with that one? But I'm not sure. I'm there yet. But the last sentence, for when I'm weak, then I'm strong. You see, God needs to take us to a place where we need him, where we rely on him, where we know him, know his grace, know his character, know his power, and then through him working in us, we become strong in him. Tim Keller, the quote, quote from him is, you can't be too weak. You can't be too weak. You can only be too hard, too stubborn, too proud. Realize, he says, realize what Jesus has done for you, how much he loves you, how much he has, how much he has forgiven you. If you know he is your champion, if he has slain the fear of approval, Pride, the sense of being unworthy, admit your weakness and rest in what Jesus has done for you, then he will use you. You can repent, love, and forgive. I always love getting a C.S. Lewis quote from here as well. And his quote is The weakness of God is stronger than the strength of man. The weakness of God is stronger than the strength of man. And that's kind of the main, the main point of the sermon. Morning. I do want to, like a second point, I suppose, I do want to connect that into the church context. I think we see in the different examples we had earlier that you know, God's not really looking for a you know, individual superstars of, of faith or solo independent heroes. He's looking for humble, not conceited, like we heard earlier, servants. Humble servants, comforted by God, comforted by others. Able to comfort others in community together. If we're struggling with whatever hardship, hurt, calamity, pain, difficult times, maybe relationships, work, mental stuff, busyness, kids, physically, like whatever, going through that on your own is really tough. Going through it in a community is also really tough, but at least you have. Support. You have God's people around you who love you, to comfort you and support you. That's why it's so important not just coming to church on a Sunday, but being properly connected in friendship, serving together, uh, joining in prayer together. That's why life groups need to grow it. The family needs to grow it. Proactively pursuing friendship is so important. Uh, we're going to look, we're going to stay in Corinthians, and we're going to jump to chapter, first, to first Corinthians, uh, chapter 12, halfway through verse 24, I think it's going to be on the screen. But God has so composed the body, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is, is honored, all rejoice together. 
the body of Christ. You, me, all of us are part of the body of Christ. We all have a part to play. We're all useful, perhaps at different things. But if one of you is missing or is weak or injured, yes, it affects the whole body. But the body can also step up to help support and to comfort. Like these stories I started with, even if you have injuries or hurts, you can still be useful and effective part of the body. And to use another encouragement, but from Jesus' time, again, on the slide, it's, you know, He's the vine. We've got, we've got to stay in Him. Verse chapter, John chapter 15, uh, verse 4 to 5. Abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. I don't need to unpack that in very much here. I'm not much of a gardener. He doesn't know that. But I do know that if you break a branch off a tree, it ain't going to survive very long without being connected, connected to the tree. And it certainly won't, it won't grow much fruit. He's the God, Christ, God, He sustains us. We must stay in Christ. Spend time with Him. Talk with Him. Be with Him. Read His Word. Spend time being in His presence. Worship Him. When I say worship, I don't just mean singing songs. I mean entering into His presence. Loving, adoring, and abiding in Him. Let's not just focus and dwell on our struggles. Let's focus and dwell on Jesus. That's exactly what worship is. By extension, being connected to Him. Again, I would encourage us to be connected to the body of His church. Don't pretend. Be intentional. Right, I think we're going to bring the band back, back up. And uh, we'll, we'll, we'll finish up soon. I didn't do enough holy churches with that. I was going to do some holy churches because it's happening again last week. So I'm not, not going to say it was happening. Um, so if you're here today, hello church. If you're if you if you're here today and you have struggles or are wrestling with things, I'd encourage you to keep wrestling. Don't give up. Remember, remember, life ain't always easy. But stay in the vine. He is with you in the storm. He is with you just when you think he isn't. And be connected into the body, the body of Christ, his church. Talking of these injuries again, I must of course say that while some injuries may leave scars and bruises emotionally, spiritually, Christ is a healer, a restorer, a redeemer who can take away these hurts. He is used, and sometimes he uses these hurts in us to work in us, through us, to bring more glory to himself. So we're going to quickly read a song, a song this morning, which I am, by the way, You are the medicine, the only cure for everything that's cool within, redeeming what was lost and all that would have been in the healing time of Christ. And we pray, and then we pray with us to hear this beautiful song. Father God, Lord God, you said, Thank you. You covered us. 
Vater, der da ist, 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 der da ist,